Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. This is not Ukraine's fault. Russia bears ultimate responsibility. I believe this is an opportunity for the administration to remove what were already misguided restrictions on U.S. military aid to Ukraine. Russia is putting Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure in its gun sights. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. My fellow citizens, America's comeback starts right now. And liftoff of Artemis One. We rise together. Back to the moon and beyond. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The U.S. and NATO say it was not on purpose, but they're blaming Russia anyway. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As President Zelensky keeps the heat on Vladimir Putin, and President Biden considers his options on the way home from the G20. We're joined ahead by Kurt Volker, former U.S. ambassador to NATO, on what happens next. Later, leadership battles begin to settle in the House and Senate, or are they? We'll talk with Drew Lipman, former chief of staff for Senator Al Franken. The same-sex marriage legislation and Donald Trump makes it official. We'll hit all these stories with our panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, and Lisa Camuso-Miller, former communications director for the Republican National Committee. So let's go. We start with NATO and the U.S. appear to be on the same page here when it comes to the incident in Poland. 24 hours later, after the headlines first broke of the blast, this is Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin briefing reporters today. Our information supports what President Duda uh, said earlier in his preliminary assessment, was that this was most likely, most likely, uh, a result of a Ukrainian air defense missile. But we'll let the investigation play out here. Okay. President Volodymyr Zelensky sees it differently. He blames Russia here. He says the rocket that caused the explosion in Poland came from Russia. And he's asking that Ukraine be part of the investigation. It's unclear what happens with that. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg suggesting it doesn't matter either way. We're blaming Russia. Here he is. This is not Ukraine's fault. Russia bears ultimate responsibility as it continues its illegal war against Ukraine. We have so what no should be the response? That this was the result of a deliberate attack. That's the key. And we have no indication that Russia is preparing offensive military actions against NATO. The president on his way back from the G20 via Hawaii now has some stuff to think about here. He did speak to reporters for a while while this was up in the air yesterday, but he's got some time before he addresses the public and the response. And that's where we start with Kurt Volker, the former U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine negotiations. He knows the people as well as the country, the former U.S. Ambassador to NATO. Mr. Ambassador, thanks for coming back to talk to us here. What shall be the response? Is it a military one? 
It, well, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. Uh, I think that the most important thing that we heard in all of that uh, clip that, that we just played is that uh, no one believes that this was an intentional Russian attack against a NATO ally. It could have been a Russian-fired missile. It could have been a Ukrainian air defense missile. That needs to be investigated. Yeah. But no one believes this was a deliberate attack. So Russia doesn't want to be in a war with NATO. NATO doesn't want to be in a war with Russia. So we should avoid getting into a situation where we slide into a war that nobody wants. And I think that's, that's where things are today. So it seems leaders have succeeded in, in, in lowering the temperature, we'll say. But there are those who yes. believe Russia should be sent a message. None of this would have happened if it hadn't been busy bombing dozens of civilian infrastructure sites throughout Ukraine. Do you just let it go? That's exactly right. Yes, that is exactly right. So first off, there needs to be a very strong message of uh, demand that Russia stop the terrorizing of civilians and the bombing campaigns in Ukraine. Uh, I think we need to hear more of that, including from NATO. Um, there also needs to be uh, a, a stepped up support for air defenses in Ukraine. That's happening, but yeah. some missiles and some rockets are still getting through, and that is knocking out civilian infrastructure. So everybody in Kiev now and everybody in most other major cities is going through periodic power outages, including heat and including water supplies, uh, because of this Russian bombing campaign. It's completely barbaric. I think we still have you, Ambassador. Uh, I want you to hear from General Mark Milley, who spoke to reporters today in that briefing uh, with Lloyd Austin, speaking of the fact that the power is out across a good chunk of the country civilian deaths are mounting and we're headed for a very cold winter listen to how he put it this is mark milley we assess now that over a quarter of ukrainian civilians are without power the deliberate targeting of the civilian power grid causing excessive collateral damage and unnecessary suffering on the civilian population is a war crime with the onset of winter Families will be without power and, more importantly, without heat. Basic human survival and subsistence is going to be severely impacted, and human suffering for the Ukrainian population is going to increase. That's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, human suffering ambassador, war crimes. We're predicting this all coming, uh, more of it, for this winter. I know that there are rules of the road here and we're trying like hell to avoid World War III in a direct conflict with Russian forces. But, Ambassador, you know the people of Ukraine. How do we sit here for the next three, four months and watch this happen? Well, it is appalling. And uh, as I was saying, I think that NATO needs to make a stronger demand of Russia. Stop the bombing. Stop the terrorizing of civilians. This is barbaric. It is unnecessary. Um, that's one thing. We need to be helping the Ukraines with air defenses so that they shoot down more of these missiles. The ratio is getting better between 80 and 100 percent now, but still some are getting through. And uh, we also need, uh, you know, I think to you know, think creatively about how we can help Ukraine quickly repair and restore its energy grid, make sure that it is able to keep the lights on. Um, different types of equipment, you know, we should be turning to Central and East European allies that have Soviet era equipment that might quickly go in. We might want to think about whether we uh, can provide assistance that would quickly 
flip over some of their systems to a Western system where the spare parts are more readily available. Yeah. But they're going to need a lot of help through this winter. It's going to be a long winter for sure. Uh, at some point, there's going to be a debate, it sounds like, on Capitol Hill about funding for Ukraine. Or will there be after this story? Does this does this end the debate from the progressive left and the conservative right that have begun complaining about this? Well, I think that the progressive left quickly pulled back their letter. They, uh, they realized that it is not the time to start negotiations with Russia, uh, not when Putin is doing what he's doing and determined to keep doing it. Um, on the right, you have some people who are questioning uh, uh, security assistance or economic assistance to Ukraine. But I think this is being channeled fairly successfully by incoming Speaker McCarthy when he says, look, what we want is accountability uh, and uh, transparency. And that is a reasonable demand. That's a reasonable thing for congressional oversight. And I think it is a very achievable objective as well. Uh, so rather than saying stop giving aid to Ukraine, I don't think that's where the American people are anyway. But making sure that the aid that we give is clear, transparent, and, and that we are held accountable for where it goes. If Russia is on the ropes here and, and we keep pushing, that the whole idea behind this was to strengthen Ukraine's hand at the negotiating table, Ambassador. When do we have a serious conversation about that? Is it even possible? And, and, and could the Minsk agreements still be a platform to negotiate a settlement? Well, I think the Minsk agreements are dead. Uh, the, the Minsk agreements basically ratified a partial Russian takeover of portions of Ukraine that Russia has now gone well beyond. It also called for the removal of foreign forces, i.e. Russian forces, uh, a permanent ceasefire that was never put in place. Uh, I think this is now w well beyond. There needs to be something else. In terms of strengthening Ukraine's hand, I think that's exactly what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Despite what we're talking about with the bombings and taking out the electricity grid, Ukraine is actually winning on the ground. They have pushed Russian forces out of over 50% of the territory that Russia had conquered earlier in the war, uh, including the city of Kherson, including outside of Kharkiv, including outside of Kiev. Uh, so the Ukrainians are actually pushing the Russians back, and that is going to force the Russians to recognize that they're not going to be able to keep the gains that they've made, and that will set the stage for negotiations. But we're not there yet because Russia is continuing to, to fight, to drop these bombs and to try to lock in the gains that it still has left. So they, they need to see that they're losing first. Is Vladimir Putin determined then to push this through winter just to inflict as much emotional damage as possible? And what does that mean for our diplomatic corps, Ambassador? You know what it's like to serve in Kiev. This is a target sure. zone now. Sure. No, it is. Um, you know, I was on the line with people in Kiev today, people uh, with the National Security Council and, and uh, people with the media. Uh, everybody is getting on with things. You know, the power goes out for several hours. It comes back on. People are, are working from home if they uh, are subject to the, you know, the air raid sirens and the bombing is actively going on. They stay at home. But the, the population is back. People are getting on with life. And they are incredibly determined and resilient to protect their country, to win the war, and make sure that Ukraine survives. They don't have any other choice. And so they are uh, remarkably resilient. And as a diplomat, you want to be there with them. You want to show that they have full support from the United States and, and from the international community in their uh, fight to protect themselves and to maintain their independence.
Well, this is why we should salute all of their service, and uh, we thank you for your time. Ambassador Kurt Volker, former U.S. Special Rep for Ukraine Negotiations, former U.S. Ambassador to NATO, as we bring you voices of expertise here, like Kurt Volker, every night on Bloomberg Sound On. We'll assemble our panel next for two more voices. Jeannie is with us. Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor, joined tonight by Lisa Camuso-Miller, former comms director for the Republican National Committee, as we bring balance and perspective to the conversation following a wild 24 hours in Ukraine and in Poland. We'll check traffic and markets for you on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Busy day in the Senate today where Mitch McConnell is reelected as the Republican leader. We'll have more on that coming up later on this hour as we keep our attention on the events overseas and the looming response here presumably by President Joe Biden and the administration. We did hear from the Pentagon today. Of course, we heard from NATO. We heard from the president loosely yesterday as he was taking questions outdoors, but he's on his way back from the G20 now, and there'll be a little bit more opportunity for that later on here. With new calls from Capitol Hill to loosen the strings on the types of material that we are sending to Ukraine, let's assemble our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Democratic analyst joined today. I'm glad to say by Lisa Camusa-Miller, former comms director for the Republican National Committee. Great to have both of you with us here. Uh, Jeannie, what does Joe Biden uh, need to do when he steps off the plane here? Surely he's talking with his advisors on the best way to manage this. It's still not exactly even known for sure what happened in Poland. Well, first, they need to find out and be clear on exactly what happened, and and we will get that information. But as you hear the administration calling what Russia is engaged in a war crime, the president is going to have to very clearly tell the American public and more importantly, tell Russia and Putin what they are going to demand in terms of getting Russia to stop this attack on innocent civilians that has gone on. And the idea that, you know, this was not um, done purposefully is something we keep hearing. And of course, that may 
be the case, but what was done purposefully was sending about 100 missiles into Ukraine and destroying people as we get to the dead of winter. So that was purposeful. This was, you know, uh, collateral damage, and that's unacceptable. And he's going to have to say how we respond to that, because apparently it won't be with Article 5. Does that uh, require a formal address from the president, Lisa? How does Joe Biden do the right thing here? Oh, I think so. I think that he probably will address the nation. I'm not sure if it'll happen before or after, but certainly he's very calculated in making, um, you know, thoughtful decisions about how uh, we as a U- as the U.S. approach this. Because obviously, if this does trigger Article Five, that makes a very big difference for how um, we proceed as a country and and how we uh, provide stability in Europe. Yeah, I want to hear from uh, Rob Portman. This is from the Senate floor, Senator Rob Portman. Republican from Ohio, of course, and, you know, I won't say an ally, but, well, you know, a friend of of President Biden helped him craft the infrastructure deal. He says it's it's time to get on with it and, and deliver everything that Ukraine is asking for. Listen, at the very least, I believe this is an opportunity for the administration to remove what were already misguided restrictions on U.S. military aid to Ukraine. He's talking about longer range weapons, genie, tanks, fighter planes, presumably. Is this conversation going to continue? It is. You know, I think one thing that yesterday uh, reminded all of us is that we need to get this war done quickly. And the fear of right now is that we're going into a stalemate, a prolonged war at the heart of winter. And so you need to get this over quickly. The only way to do this is to pull off the Band-Aid and give them what they need to protect themselves. We've been told over and over what they need. Now it's got to be delivered. And it's not just the United States. It's also our allies. And that is a big concern as well. So how do you turn up the heat, Lisa? I know you're not a military analyst, uh, but even politically, how do you turn up the heat on Vladimir Putin so you force him to the table? Or is that just not possible? Oh, I don't necessarily know if it's possible to bring him to the table, but I do think that I and I hope I hope, Joe, that this quiets down a lot of that um, contradictory uh, language that was coming out of uh, Leader McCarthy just a couple of weeks ago about yeah, how right. we would be more thoughtful and calculated about how, how money would be sent to Ukraine. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. That is absolutely it's toned up to what's happening in uh, overseas. And, and that to me alone ought to be a signal to Capitol Hill both on both sides of the house and on both sides of the um, of the building that that this needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed quickly. And progressives seem to kind of pull back their their concerns. At least they retracted that letter, Lisa. But, you know, there's another conversation that's happening on Capitol Hill, and that's how to replenish our own stockpiles. Uh, Lisa, how do Republicans work that into the conversation here? Because we've sent a lot of our own gear, a lot of our own weaponry to Ukraine. Uh, yeah, there's. I mean, there's no question about it that that is something that we absolutely need to consider. But we still are. I mean, by by exponentially larger and and more equipped than any other nation on the globe. And so I have to believe that with the extraordinary partnerships that we have with all of the government contractors that we work with. I mean, Joe, I really think that. Uh, they will be working as quickly and as hard as they can to make sure that we are well positioned, not only here in the homeland, but overseas as well. What kind of a conversation is that like between the White House and progressive Democrats then, Jeannie? We need more money than we thought for military hardware. And we don't have a blank check, but we are going to be sending a lot more money to Ukraine. 
Well, it's a conversation the White House has to have with progressives, has to have with Congress, but more importantly, with the American public. You know, listen to what we hear from people like Warren Davidson from Ohio. He's saying his constituents are telling him, we feel badly about Ukraine, but we're suffering here, too. Right. And they use this analogy of putting your own mask and oxygen mask on. That's a real fear that Americans have. And the president and the Democrats and Republicans have got to address that. So it's not just with representatives and senators. It's with the American public as well, which is why Joe Biden needs to come out and say why this is in our interest, because Americans have to write to say we've spent billions of dollars. We are suffering here. Our border is a mess. Crime is up. Inflation is up. Why are we sending more? He's got to explain that there is an explanation. It's the right thing to do. But you can't just do it and leave people to their own devices to feel that they've been robbed in their own country. Boy, there's a lot to cover there, certainly. Jeannie, thank you. And Lisa, thank you. We will continue our panel through the course of the hour. Lisa Camuso-Miller and Jeannie Shanzano. I'm going to put my oxygen mask on as we turn back to what's happening in the back rooms on Capitol Hill. Fascinating leadership battles in both the House and Senate. Neither apparently will change anything. So who actually lost here? We'll talk with Drew Lippman coming up on the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. So uh, interesting here. I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but I'm just trying to keep track of what's going on, okay? It's been a week. It has now been one week since Kevin McCarthy declared victory in the House. And as I'm watching Donald Trump last night at Mar-a-Lago, well, I thought maybe the whole thing had just come together. Listen. Exactly one week ago, our citizens voted in the important midterm elections. And despite a ridiculously long and unnecessary period of waiting, far longer, in fact, than any third world country, (laughs) just a short time ago, the Republicans won back control of the House of Representatives. Well, is that right? I'm thinking, man, how did I miss, like, the terminal's not working. No, it hadn't been called. Uh, now, it could be, of course, he even named the lawmaker. He says, that, was, that Kevin, I tell you, Kevin Kiley, by God, glad that he was the guy to put us over the top. But, of course, the House has not been called. Republicans uh, are one seat away here, 217 for the GOP. I mean, it's clear how this story ends, but we've got to wait a long time for votes to be tallied in California. This is basically why there's been... So much upheaval in the leadership battles. There might have been a challenge either way. But as you remember, Andy Biggs challenged Kevin McCarthy uh, for his leadership post in the House. It it didn't work out well for Andy Biggs. Kevin McCarthy uh, lives to see another day. But there was quite a revolt led by lawmakers like Matt Gates, the congressman from uh, Florida, who was kind of dealing with this openly with reporters in the corridors of the Capitol. Here he is. Well, I think that the conference is going to go through some soul searching and you know, we're we got to go through the stages of grief here a little bit. There are some still in denial, believing that uh, 188 votes can get someone to be speaker. And so once we move th- through that, I think ultimately we'll work our way to acceptance for someone who has broad support throughout the conference and can unite us. But no one has come forward otherwise. And his colleague from Georgia, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, is with Kevin McCarthy. She says there's no time to be bickering about this now. We have a very slim majority 
And so this is why it's so important for us to stay unified and get behind him as our speaker, because we cannot open the door to the Democrats peeling off several of our Republicans and, and working together to choose a speaker that they would control. We have to have the gavel. Drew Lipman is policy director at Brownstein Hyatt Farber Streck and former chief of staff for Senator Al Franken. He spent a lot of times in the corridors of power on Capitol Hill. Don't you miss all this, Drew? Oh, heck yeah. Actually, this is super interesting to people like me. It's like um, baseball pennant race sort of stuff. <laughs> but everybody knows how this series is going to end, right? It's going to be Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. It is. And the McConnell stuff is straightforward. You know, in the Senate, to be elected majority leader, you just need a majority of your own caucus. It's not a Senate position. It's really a caucus position. For McCarthy to be elected Speaker of the House, that's different. He has to be elected by the whole House. Right. Now, what he has won so far is not the speakership. It's the Republican nomination to be right. Speaker. And that's why the fact that he lost 31 votes is significant. Because if he's at 188 and no Democrat votes for him, he's jammed up. Of course, yes, he's eventually right. going to get elected speaker. There's no one running against him. But you could see how the Republican, uh, if you want to call them dissidents or outliers, can make his life hard for a little while. Yeah, so this is an exercise in embarrassing Kevin McCarthy a little bit. That's perfectly accurate. And Matt Gates will be laughing all the way, uh, I guess, to the bank here. But what about Marjorie Taylor Greene? Is it because she was invited to the big commitment to America speech? Or she vying for some certain committee? What's in it for her? Well, what's in it for her, she believes, is a seat on the House Oversight Committee, which is probably going to be the most visible committee Oof. in a Republican-controlled House with divided government. No legislation really going on, but there's going to be a lot of aggressive oversight. Some of it might be quite ridiculous, but it's going to be aggressive. They're going to be on TV a lot. They'll dominate Fox News. They're going to have a lot of hostile witnesses to question. And you can see why Marjorie Taylor Greene is salivating for the opportunity. Live at the improv. Well, so, okay, let's uh, shine the light on you here in your party, Drew. A lot of people want to know what Nancy Pelosi is going to do. If this does end up being a House uh, majority for Republicans, however slim, does she call it quits? I don't know. And, and as of today, people close to her uh, still don't know. Every I Democrat that, says that, Drew. That is incredible to me that nobody can see inside this deliberation. Well, I, I started on the Hill with Barbara Boxer. She and Pelosi represented adjacent House districts. So I was around yeah. Pelosi quite a bit. And that's going back more than 30 years. I've been around her plenty of times since. Really, nobody knows. And and. That's partly because she's Pelosi. She doesn't have to tell you in advance because if she wants to be the leader, she'll be the leader. Wow. She just has to decide. It's not like she has to muster votes or muster resources or get, you know, big shots from the outside. She doesn't have to get Barack Obama to call somebody to ask for their mm -hmm. vote. She can make a decision at the very last minute if she wants to. So is this going to be a good year for Hakeem Jeffries? I think probably, yes, there's a good year coming for Hakeem Jeffries. I think it's probably this year. Part of what's interesting, though, is it's not just Pelosi. You have Steny Hoyer, you know, immediately below her in the leadership and James Clyburn below Hoyer. Now, the average age of those three leaders, Pelosi, Hoyer and Clyburn, is about 81 years. So so one of the big questions is and this is one I get asked a lot. 
if one goes, if Pelosi goes, do they all go? Or is it just Pelosi? That, that's still an open question for Democrats. Well, fascinating. Drew, thank you. I love talking this out with you. Drew Lipton is policy director. Brownstein Hyatt, former chief of, cha- uh, chief of staff, easy for me to say, for Senator Al Franken. Same-sex marriage legislation moves forward in the Senate. An important vote today. It's far from over, but still alive. And we'll reassemble our panel with more on that coming up. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. The fastest hour in politics continues. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. On this vote, the yeas are 62, the nays are 37. Three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn having voted in the affirmative. The motion is agreed to. And there it is. Same-sex marriage advances in the Senate. Senator John Hickenlooper presiding as the vote count came in today. This is not the end. This is a procedural step, but it's a necessary one on the way to passage here. 6237, what do you think? We reassemble the panel here. This is one of the things that Democrats said they would try to do in the lame duck, and here we go. Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Democrat analyst and Bloomberg politics contributor. Joined today by Lisa Camuso-Miller, former comms director at the RNC. They are our panel What do you think about this one, Lisa, for Republicans? It's uh, obviously something that not all Republicans support, but are there enough there with Mitt Romney, for instance, on board to make a difference? Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I mean, I think the outcome of the election, in my estimation, is that people were saying that they're tired of this kind of rhetoric, the back and forth. I mean, look, this bill is a, is a, is to preemptively uh, stop the backslide of same-sex marriage if the Supreme Court were to make a ruling that were uh, to be in some way in contrast with that. So, d- yes, I do. I think that the party itself uh, has come a long way. I don't think that this bo- this would even have been something that would have come up uh, as early as 2015. So we're seeing progress. Yes, it's slow, but it is progress. And we're seeing Republicans come over to the right side of this uh, of this decision. Jeannie, the uh, Respect for Marriage Act would codify federal recognition of same-sex and interracial marriages, we should note. Twelve Republicans voted with all Democrats on this. 
This never would have happened without the Roe v. Wade ruling, right? It wouldn't, because in his concurring opinion, uh, uh, Clarence Thomas said the precedent underpinning same-sex marriage should be, quote, reconsidered. And that, of course, as Lisa was just saying, is what sparked this concern and led to the passage of this in the House and moving it to the Senate. And I think it's truly a remarkable moment because you do have some Republicans in the Senate who are concerned about the issue of liberty and the religious liberty protections. And the Democrats did massage the bill to address their concerns and the hope is that that was enough that they move even beyond the vote today as important as it was to passage and it gets to joe biden's desk it would be a momentous time as the court has suggested not clarence thomas but otherwise Hmm. do this work in the legislature and that's where they should do it congress has not done this kind of work for a long time leaving these rights vulnerable and they're doing it now well as we pick up the pieces here uh, from the midterm election cycle and, you know, all of this is informed, to Jeannie's point, uh, by by what voters told us a week ago tonight. And it was last night at Mar-a-Lago that Donald Trump stood at the podium, of course, announcing that he was officially running for president in 2024 and said, hey, you know, you won the House. What's the big deal? Listen. I told them, I said, if you just keep a little bit lower standard, you're going to have a big victory. They said, let's win by 40 seats. Let's win by 50. I said, if you win by two seats, be happy. But she's on her way to another country right now. She's been fired. Talking about Nancy Pelosi. But of course, Lisa, uh, does he have a point? You know, when you start talking about winning 50, 60 seats, you know, some people just look at this as a win or lose game. If, if you're in terms of messaging the success of the party, uh, I don't know. Is Donald Trump telling you to lower your standards or be more realistic? I don't know. But Joe, I just have to laugh about all of that. I mean, Donald Trump is not a political mind. He is not somebody that understands what the map was going to look like. I mean, look, history absolutely positively showed that Republicans were going to pick up a lot of seats. Unfortunately, it was this this dissonance, the, the, the distracted messaging that was coming out of these candidates that were hand chosen by Donald Trump that caused that distraction, that caused voters to go to the polls and deny that many seats to be won by Republicans. And so I think he's trying to save face in those in those remarks from last night. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what, you watch the speech. Uh, I'm sure, Jeannie, uh, is that the best news? Is that what you're going to tell me that Democrats could have going into 24? Joe Matthew, I was watching a very good movie that I turned <laughs> off to put this on because in my duty to you, I felt that I needed to. Wow. And, well, gosh, and it I'm was honored. a painful hour, as Lisa's Lisa's chuckle indicates. And I want to know if both you and Lisa can say, what is it, MAGAGA, Make America Great and Glorious Again? It's a tongue oh. twister there. Wow. Yeah, that's the, that's the new slogan that I learned. And okay. yes, this is a good moment for Democrats, but it's not a good moment for the American people, for democracy, and certainly not for the Republican party and one thing i am curious to see does the party going forward try to take steps like the democrats did as they started to lose in the 1970s to ensure that the party faithful and the elites in the party have more control than the base because that things like superdelegates is what will erupt out of this kind of takeover of the party they've been experiencing since 2015 which has cost them so much power in washington Lisa, if you're uh, Glenn Youngkin or Ron DeSantis, do you have any reason uh, to hurry and announce or, or, or quite the opposite? You wait as long as you can before you jump in. 
Well, I don't think anybody's in a rush to announce. I think Donald Trump probably had his own reasons for doing that. But look, I think this is a cautionary tale, Joe. I mean, we counted Donald Trump out in 2015, uh, uh, nights that he was paying people to sit in the audience to make it appear that he had supporters when, in fact, they were not. They were paid uh, seat fillers. This is a time when we need to be very, very cautious. I'm with Jeannie. I am waiting to see. uh, I'm actually waiting to see more Republicans come out and speak against and speak towards the future rather than going backwards with Donald Trump as a candidate for 24. I'm very, very much interested to see if we can get away from him. But I also think that we need to watch closely because we have counted him out before and he became the president. Sure. And you know, a divided primary can make weird things happen. That's how you win with 30 percent. But there's one that slipped through last night, I felt like. Uh, And it certainly caught my attention. Maybe you too, Jeannie, as you were popping your popcorn. Uh, But the, the president did refer to 2020, not with the whole stop the steal movement, but he added a new actor. Listen. No president had ever sought or received one dollar for our country from China until I came along and we were getting hundreds of billions of dollars. Many people think that because of this, China played a very active role in the 2020 election. Just saying, just saying. Really? Sure, that didn't happen. Really? China? Lisa, have you ever heard this? And I realize that you're a very sensible uh, uh, political operative. But have you heard this knocked around in any corners of the Internet that that China meddled in the 2020 election? No, I have not. I mean, Joe, I, I this is just another one of those threads that Donald Trump pulls in order to get his supporters to come uh, and, and align with him. But but really, but what's unfortunate is that there's no one to call him on it. There's no one that calls nonsense when he says these kinds of things. I mean, this just causes more dissonance in the globe. Uh, no, there is no nothing, nothing in, in what I have seen or heard that indicates that at all. This is a Donald Trump fabrication once again. Uh, I'm assuming this goes nowhere, Jeannie. Maybe the point is that the, the fact that it wasn't picked up by any major news agency says everything you need to know. It, it, it does. And, you know, we haven't even talked about it yet, but I think it was very telling. I, obviously, the New York Post has been on, on Donald Trump uh, for a few <laughs> days now. Crazy. But the fact that they said Florida man makes announcement and then you had you to see, see page 26. I, I love the post. Okay. Um, <laughs> Written you, across you, the bottom of the front page. Yeah. And, and you know, in, in all seriousness, it's a great it's a great title. But in all seriousness, the, I think one thing to watch for is how much media coverage Trump gets, because let's not yeah. forget. It was the free media coverage he get. He spent a lot less than than Hillary Clinton in 2016. It was the free media coverage that he's counted on. And of course, you see everybody from Rupert Murdoch to the New York Post to a lot of elites in the Republican Party. The question is going to be that 30 percent you're talking about. And if there is a crowded primary, it's Mm -hmm. easier for him to win, which is why I'm not sure why he wants to knock everyone else out early. He should be hoping everyone comes in because then he has a chance of winning this thing in a head to head. It's going to be harder. Oh, gosh, maybe he won't. I don't know. I'm, I'm very confused about that whole idea. I, something, something, part of me, Lisa, feels like he just likes the fight, to be honest with you, and looks forward to uh, the, the debate stage uh, because he's got to be well, missing it. Lisa Camusa yeah. Miller, thank you. Jeannie Shanzano, thank you both for being with us and a great panel. And it finally happened, likely while you were sleeping. Of course, this thing gets off the pad in the middle of the night. We're heading back to the moon. The Orion spacecraft speeding toward lunar orbit as we speak after a 
beautiful nighttime launch, an unmanned mission that will set the stage. Boosters in ignition. Here we go, listen. And lift off of Artemis 1. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. What we saw tonight, it's an A+. Plus. Like it looked like the sun was rising. Let me take you on a little trip. My supersonic ship at your disposal if you feel so inclined. What an amazing day and what an amazing launch. I'm telling you, we've never seen such a tale of flame. We're going to travel faster than light, so drop your overcoat tight, and we'll go anywhere you want to decide. Today, we got to witness the world's most powerful rocket take the Earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it. My supersonic rocket ship. And it was quite a sight. It's quite a sight. Thanks to our panel, to Ambassador Kurt Volker, and to Drew Lippman on the fastest hour in politics. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. From Washington, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.